Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> my name is Thomas. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew, who uh, puts alliteration-laden catchphrases in front of me. I knew you put that there to make me screw up. Trying to test you. You were hoping for it. Anyway, what are you drinking, dude? Uh, I didn't have much, but I did have a Krabby's alcoholic ginger beer. <laughs> what so, is that? Alcohol from SpongeBob? <laughs> yeah, it's like I just ginger beer for like a dark and stormy. Um, it's okay. it's four point eight, so it's definitely a session beer, and it, it kind of smells a little bit, but it's it's pretty good. It's just kind of rank, you know. It's kind of disgusting. It's but definitely I like it. stale for like three years, but I'll still drink it. So you know, all right, that works. I'm drinking milk. What? Are they <laughs> just, a sponsor? Yeah, yeah the sponsor this week is Anderson Erickson, I guess. Uh, actually, I just buy like the store brand milk. To be honest, yeah, I just uh, I wanted some milk, you know. So, and Thomas. there was some left when I got on the air with you. I have to ask uh, for the show notes. Can we get a picture of you with a huge milk mustache in your beard? Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I take that try. as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll take it later. We'll see. <laughs> I'll put it on Instagram. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, no, uh, no drinks for me because we are having a wine and chocolate party tomorrow mm. in my house, and it's like it's going to be our final party because I'm moving in a month. So. Like all the friends who have moved up to Minneapolis and Omaha, they're coming in. It's going to be great. So I'm not I'm even like moving. And it kind of seems for like surreal. You've been talking about it so long. We have been talking about it for quite a long time. I, I'm so, used to looking at your room through the camera. I don't know how I'm going to adjust to the change. It probably won't look that different. Mm. I'm getting rid of that recliner behind me. That's But otherwise, I think you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, that looks like Tom's room pretty much. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many ways to set up a studio. So I don't know what order you were planning on doing this in, but I'm mm. guessing people already know that this is Online Business Month. Yes, this is Online Business Month. Um, this is one of the episodes in, I will admit, when we're recording. I don't know which week it's going to go in. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be the first one, though. No, so no. people know. Mm. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this one because our guest today is the guy who probably had the second most influence in having this show start. He he is my Katy Perry. He's he's my <laughs> Katy Perry of online means. business. <laughs> but Corbett Barr, welcome to the show, dude. I mean, we've been fans of you for literally decades now, probably. 100 years, 200 Go years. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Katy Perry, I've never heard that one before. That's good. Here I'm, I'm talking to a, a milk drinker and a Katy Perry fan. Well, hey man, what's wrong with drinking milk when you're 25? <laughs> Nothing. Years old? I think that's a lost art being a milk drinker. It's good. Yeah. Every time I get it, though, people make fun of me. They're like, what are you drinking milk for? I'm like, dude, you get milk in your coffee, right? That's true. I do drink Just milk. More milk in, in coffee. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. And for people who don't know the story, I mean, Andrew, you and Matt, the previous co host of this mm. show, met through Fizzle, which is the site that Corbett runs. Yes. And uh, Corbett, actually, before we get into everything we're going to talk about, what exactly is Fizzle for people who haven't heard of it? Fizzle is a community and video training library for entrepreneurs, people who want to earn a living doing something they care about, very much like you guys are doing now. And uh, we have uh, about 40 courses in the library that teach people everything they need to know about building an online business and getting it up and running. And then uh, we have close to 2,000 members who are in a uh, community setting where they get to talk to each other, help each other out with problems. And sometimes they meet up and uh, start a business together like uh, like Matt and Andrew did. And, and now you, Thomas, as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And I just love the way you guys do things because um, the quality of your courses is so high mm. that it seems like you should be charging thousands of dollars. And I've seen lots of other people actually do that. But no, you guys are just like, no, eh, it's like 35 bucks a month and you, know you can go through all of them for five weeks for free if you want. Like, it's just insane to me that you guys are able to price so low and still do so well. Dude, and it's, make it's such not even stuff. And I feel like we don't need Corby. You don't even need to be here. We'll just talk great things about you for an hour and then <laughs> cool. hang up. I'll sit back. <laughs> but, but I just want to say, like, it, it's the, the high quality is what like really takes you. But the approach of just like build a high quality business and how none of it is mired in all of the shit. 
that is out there on the internet, like the quick 12 tactics to steal your friend's money or it's just so highbrow. It, it's like make something that you are proud of. And, and even from before fizzle, you kind of like toe the line there. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's tough. It's like, uh, I think it's, um, it's tempting. It's easy. <clears throat> kind of like in personal finance, right? Mm. People want the quick tips. They want to know how to solve problems really quickly, but these problems take actually years probably to solve it, in personal finance. It's like, you know, yeah, I would love to be out of debt and, you know, rich in the next five years, but it's probably going to take 20, you know, or, mm. or something like that. And with building a business, it's the same thing. I think people, they hope that they can start a business and be making money. We have people all the time who write us, I have this two month timeline. I just left my job and I have, you know, $3,000 in the bank and I need to be making $5,000 a month in two months. What do you think I should do? And it's like, yeah. well, get another go job ask for your day job back, you know, because yep. <laughs> this is probably going to take two to three years. And so we just made a bet that the long term play of giving people advice that will actually help them build businesses is better than the short term play of selling people on crap that won't actually work for them and uh, milking them for thousands of dollars for courses that we can offer for 35 bucks a month. Yeah. And it's paid off. Seriously. Like every time somebody emails me and they're like, how do I start my own blog or YouTube channel or whatever? I'm just like, go to fizzle.co. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, watch you know, as many of those courses as you can, as fast as you can, and then start doing something. I, I was you just know. talking with a, with a friend entrepreneur t today, actually, who was asking us where our members come from, where our referrals mm -hmm. come from. And we have a podcast that we've run, uh, just a little bit longer than Andrew. I think we started in 2012 as well, mm. about four years now, something like that, uh, four and a half. And, uh, that's definitely a source of, of members as well. Our blog is and, uh, referrals from people, but then mm -hmm. there's this huge chunk of people who sign up and we're not sure where they came from because they just typed fizzle into their browser and there was no you know, referral history or anything before that. And that accounts for like 50% of people who sign up. So we hmm. attribute that to word of mouth. It's people, good people like Thomas and others telling friends, Hey, go check this out. And then they remember it and end up becoming members themselves. Do you guys track your podcast referrals using that URL that you give on the podcast? We do. Yeah. And that's a good reason, <laughs> you know, for if you're running a podcast, anybody listening to this, it's often hard to get your audience to end up coming over to take action on something. So mm -hmm. we give them a, a, as you mentioned, a five week free trial of fizzle that you can only get by using a code, a URL that we give out on the podcast. Otherwise, if you just go through the front door, you end up getting a two week trial. And so that gives us a way to track people better who, who are yeah. coming from the podcast. I should probably get my own link. That's the link I always get people in emails. Yeah, get your own. <laughs> so I'm yeah. skewing your numbers a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, we should probably be doing this too. We're like, hey, come to our site and just take everything for free. And then we'll figure it out <laughs> right. later. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so uh, I think we want to talk about how you can start your own thing from like ground zero, nothing built and then kind of grow it. And where I wanted to start was um, to get your story about how you did that with Think Traffic, because I noticed that you started Think Traffic back in 2010, which was the same year I started College Info Geek. And I remember even back then going through forums and reading blog posts from people who said blogging is dead, it's overcrowded, and there's no way to start a new blog and get traffic to it and get noticed in 2010. And yet you did it and Think Traffic eventually became Fizzle. So how did it start for you and what were some of the things that helped it to grow? Yeah. All right. Good questions. Uh, so I think traffic started because I was frustrated at some of the things that Andrew was talking about earlier, all the the hype and BS that surrounds building an online business. And I had uh, previously worked in Silicon Valley. I founded a company. We raised venture capital, uh, built and um, eventually left a company in Silicon Valley and went off on my own. And, um, eventually I decided to start think traffic because I wanted to find out why are some sites massively popular while the vast majority, you know, 99.9% .9 of sites that are started pretty much go unnoticed, right? Because there are literally hundreds of millions of blogs in existence. And this is sort of to your point. A lot of people think blogging is dead because there are so many, there are probably tens of thousands or something started every day. And, uh, the question is like, why do some sites stand out? So I started think traffic with that simple question. And, uh, I think that was a point of differentiation for me, just like with fizzle, what we try to focus is on is 
the truth of the matter. And if it's a long-term answer, that's fine. And what it comes down to with traffic is quality really matters. Relationships matter. And yes, occasionally there's a tactic or two that might be interesting or it might be hot for a little while because, you know, there are new social networks that come online and sometimes you can become popular on one of those quickly. But Mm -hmm. like, as you know, Thomas, from being on YouTube, you're finally seeing some really impressive numbers, but it took several years to get there and you didn't have a whole lot to show for it for a while. And it's frustrating for a long time. But at the end of the day, what it, what it takes is finding your voice, understanding your audience, putting together a really compelling product and then showing up day after day after day. And with think traffic, it was similar for me. Growing that myself was all about showing up every day and and trying to do honest work for people. It helped that I knew some folks from business before. And mm-hmm. really the boost that I got with Think Traffic was getting to meet people in my industry when they were rising stars. We talk about mm. um, A-listers a lot. Everybody wants to get to know Seth Godin or Gary Vaynerchuk or Marie Forleo or whoever the big names are in your space or in personal finance. You guys have these, you know, these people that are up on a pedestal. Well, I think like a better Andrew approach Fever. is actually yeah, Andrew <laughs> Fever now at this point. Everyone's like, no. <laughs> I think a better approach, you know, is actually to try to find people who are clearly up and comers, people who mm-hmm. are rising stars in their space. And, you know, that's how I got to know people like Pat Flynn back in the day before he was, you know, the God that he is in his space or John Lee Dumas, who uh, has run a podcast at Entrepreneur on Fire for a long time. I met a lot of these people before they even had the thing that they have now at conferences, from, you know, emails, from belonging to little groups, networking groups and things like that. And um, that's one of those little, you know, if you want to talk about tactics, that's one of those things that really does matter. Those relationships that you put together. Yeah. Well, you you had said um, <clears throat> trying to find out like what your audience wants and your voice, mm-hmm. but when you start, I, I feel like you have neither of these things. It's like this chicken and the egg scenario. Like, do you just go and kind of figure it out as you go? Like, I, I'm sure you get this a lot. Like, people don't know how to start. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So there's a whole lot of, you know, interesting questions wrapped up in that. And we uh, decided at Fizzle a couple of years ago to take a structured approach to it because we get the same questions over and over again. And eventually, this is after you guys were really in the mix in Fizzle. uh, We put together something we call the Fizzle Roadmap, which we've been working on for a couple of years. And this is meant to guide people step by step through all these really hairy questions that you have. So the first one is generally something like, well, what's my business idea, right? What what am I, what sort of topic am I going to tackle? What niche am I going to operate in? And we usually have a couple of uh, scenarios. Either one, somebody is the kind of person who has a million ideas swirling around in their head and entrepreneurship uh, tends to attract those kinds of people, right? We're, we're people with mm-hmm. ideas. On the other hand, we have people who know that they want to earn a living for themselves, but for some reason just don't have any solid ideas and they need to come up with something. So uh, we have, you know, a couple of courses that guide people through this, but the bottom line is there are a series of exercises that you can go through to brainstorm all the ideas that you have, to list those ideas out, and then to come up with the criteria that matter to you and to building a business that hopefully will align what you're interested in, what the world needs and what you're capable of putting together uh, so that it all sort of comes together and gives you the greatest shot at being successful. Now, you mentioned before, Thomas, like, for example, uh, people might say blogging is dead. People might say personal finance is saturated. People might Mm -hmm. say the fitness industry has too many gurus in it or whatever. Uh, Yet, all the time we see success stories rise up in here, right? And and you'll see, you know, sometimes you might feel like, oh, you know, there's not going to be another breakthrough in cooking, for example. There's too many people in cooking. And yet somebody will come along and just knock it out of the park and become this like overnight success story or seemingly overnight success story. Competition is one of those things that matters a lot. And so that would be on my list of criteria that matter to the topic that I choose. What level of competition is there? And conversely, how would I differentiate myself? How would I make my business stand out? Because Mm -hmm. even in crowded spaces, if you have a better mousetrap, or an idea that for some reason stands out or solves a problem that isn't being solved yet, 
then you have a good shot at cutting through the noise and still making a success, even though the naysayers all sit back and go, oh, there's, you know, too many people in that space right now. Yeah. And I find that the more crowded a space is and the more attention there is on it, the more ripe it is for a combination. Mm-hmm. And I, I give the example of Steve Cam and Nerve Fitness all the time. Um, so <laughs> in lieu of beating a dead horse, though, I do definitely recommend going and checking out his site. Uh, there's this other guy on YouTube and I can't remember his name right now, but he has like a fitness channel, but his fitness channel is he'll take like the workouts that anime characters do and then do a video on like, would that work? So there's a really popular anime called one punch man that came out a couple oh, seasons ago. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's one of my favorites now. Cause it's just the most amazingly well animated thing I've ever seen. Uh, but like the lore is like this dude does a hundred pushups, a hundred sit-ups, a hundred jumping jacks and a 10 kilometer run every single day and becomes like the most powerful warrior on earth. And he's just like, he's just going through all the biological science of would that work? Would that actually help you build muscle mass and all that kind of stuff? And he's getting a ton of attention. Mm-hmm. So he's and, kind and of in that, that fitness niche, but, but not yeah. right in it, you know, and not it's like such a simple, else. it's such a simple premise as well. Right. I mean, you have the, his, his formula for, you know, becoming superhuman and then it's combined with anime. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's so easy to describe. I think sometimes when we build a business, if you find yourself needing multiple paragraphs or minutes in a conversation to explain exactly what you do, then it's probably too complicated. You need to simplify mm-hmm. it, boil it down so that you can say it in a phrase because if you want people to understand and and uh, remember what you do and then hopefully check you out, you know, later or become a customer, it needs to be something that sticks in their mind and is, you know, really concise. Yeah. On, on like the oversaturated areas, I mean, you're in the creative business space, which is super saturated. Personal finance is equally saturated and. I, I consider Listen Money Matters a four-year instant like blow-up success. It only took <laughs> me you know going gray <laughs> and four years of my life to do this. Um, and, and part of me wonders, is it the fact that I'm one of the few left after four years? I started, a bunch of people started when I did, but most have dropped off. So would you attribute... Uh, like success almost just like stubborn persistence or do you think that um, it's it's really something else and like it you know it's it's a great question this is like I love these like philosophical questions that come up when you talk about business Um, and I don't know if there's a, a perfect answer for it but I know in my case stubborn persistence was really what led me to succeed even though I had failed multiple times in the past I think, um, you know, on the flip side, sometimes you see people who have been trying what seems to be very hard for 10 years to build a business and still haven't succeeded. You have to wonder, like, where are they going to find the energy and inspiration to continue? Because at some point you have to look in the mirror and ask, like, would I have been better off just working a, a job with a good salary, especially when you consider personal finance, right? Because Uh, On the entrepreneurship side, we don't talk a whole lot about personal finance, but if the goal is for you to live a comfortable life at some point, you guys know that it's really all about cash flow and and making sure that the one side balances out the other really evenly. Mm -hmm. With entrepreneurship, I think people are hoping that they get to live a great life now, which is respectable. Um, but you know, at some point I think they're also hoping that building a business allows them to earn a lot of money and earning a lot of money can be done in a number of different ways. And the formula to do so is, is fairly straightforward and, and there are success stories all the time, despite, you know, everyone who listens to your show trying to do this thing, you can still tell people the formula, you know, you, uh, save more than you spend, right. And, and then you invest that money. That's basically it Mm. with a business. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's basically find a group of people who have a problem, need, or desire and create a solution that they're willing to pay for. And that's it. Rinse and repeat. So it's really easy to explain the formula. It's hard to succeed. And I think um, that's because persistence and, uh, and digging deep and overcoming hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, that's how people succeed. And a lot of people just don't have the, the stamina or the, the fortitude to give that much every week, week after week after week for the four years or five or six or 10 years that it might take to get a business off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I think that the persistence is like a fuel of sorts. Like, I mean, (laughs) if you have like a steam engine or something, like you have to keep shoveling coal in it to keep it going. But at some point, like a bullet train is going to pass it up 
So persistence, you can you can take examples of people who have been doing something for 10 years and you're like, okay, that is a huge reason why they are successful. But you can also find people who have been doing something for 10 years and it really hasn't grown at all because maybe they're not serving the right audience or they've never really worked hard to innovate and kind of pass up the competition. So I think there's a lot of other factors you have to think about while you're putting in the hours and realizing it's going to take a long time to build. Yeah. You also have to be getting 1% better every day or figuring out how can I serve my audience better? How can I make them uh, pay more attention to what I'm doing? All kinds of yeah, stuff like that. You know, and I, I think the fact is uh, a lot of people are just playing business as well. They, mm. they've decided mm. that being an entrepreneur is their identity and it's not about the outcome. It's about being able to tell people that that's what you are because you derive worth from, you know, at least people perceiving you as being aspirational and trying to do something to better your life. Uh, yeah. so th that's, that's, we see that and, and we have to kind of judge that when we have people inside of fizzle, uh, you know, I want everyone to succeed, but at the same time, we don't have time to spend handholding everybody inside. And so we kind of get to judge people like, is this person really serious and do they have a good idea? And then, you know, those people we get to know, like I I've hung out with you in person, Thomas and Matt, who you mentioned earlier. And for some reason, Andrew never comes to Portland, but maybe he will <laughs> at some point. But, um, you know, and so you can tell sometimes when someone is driven and they're serious and they have that fire and, and that persistence, you can tell that they're going to do what it takes, even if they hit road roadblocks now and then. And I think, again, there's so many parallels between personal finance and business. I just love it. Um, because with personal finance, it's the same thing. You know, somebody might have the best intentions to pay down this amount, you know, every month on their debt, but maybe some like health setback happens and they have these expenses that aren't foreseen. And you have to wonder, like, is that going to knock them off the horse permanently so that they never mm -hmm. get back on because they're discouraged by it. And the same thing happens with business. To continue with like the parallels between business and personal finance, I feel like t to your example, you could be in debt, you know, and you just have to spend less than you make um, and then you're eventually positive and you invest and you're good. Uh, but so much time and thought could be in like running the numbers and obsessing. Um, and, and I know the same can go for business where you could mm -hmm. spend uh, 24 hours every day and run yourself ragged, reading everything and tweaking all these things. Like, and so my question to you is like, what is the real amount of time that you need to put in to succeed? Like, do you have to do 40 hours a week? And did you do that for think traffic or like, could you start at one and still have a chance to succeed? Yeah, this is one of those principles that um, makes the difference. Like Thomas said, <clears throat> uh, get 1% better, you know, every week or every month, whatever. That's that's a great one. Another one is <clears throat> that you really have to focus on the thing that matters most because it's, it's so easy to get distracted. And if you look at all the tasks that are on your plate, uh, it is usually clear that there's something you can do that will have outsized returns on your effort. You know, you could be uh, trying to find a client, for example, someone who will actually pay you money to do something, or you could be tweaking your website endlessly. And this is something that we see people do over and over again. It's like, yep. if I just find the perfect WordPress theme, everything's going to fall into place. And we yeah. all do that to some degree in the beginning, but I think some people never get over that and they don't realize that the things that matter are, you know, making a better product and finding more customers, basically. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think the answer, uh, Andrew, depends on who you are. For me personally, I'd say over the past seven years, I've probably averaged around a 40 hour a week. Uh, sometimes, you know, like right now I'm in Mexico where I spend the winters. I, I might work a little bit less because there's surfing happening, you know, outside and I, I like to do that. Um, and then when I'm at home in Portland, sometimes I work 50 hours a week. It just depends. Uh, you know, the, the tricky part for most people is that they have a day job. And so yeah. they don't have 50 hours to dedicate to building a business and they have to make the most from, uh, maybe a spare two hours a day and, and maybe they have a family. And so those two hours a day have to happen after the kids go to bed or before they go to work in the morning. And those are the people who have the real guts, the real persistence, right? Who can show up and put those two hours in. But the, the magic thing about only having a limited amount of time is that it focuses you. It forces you yeah. to decide if I only have these two hours, how am I going to spend them 
on something that actually matters to my business. So I have something to show for it. So I think there are diminishing returns on every hour that you spend. And I, I remember seeing this when I was in a corporate job, you know, you'd see some people who seemed like they were at the office all the time. And yet I tended to be at the office probably 35 hours a week. And my boss loved me for it because I got in, I did what mattered and I left. I didn't spend all day socializing and, and, uh, organizing paperwork or whatever the hell they do. I think, um, you can learn to focus on things that matter so that you don't have to spend that many hours and can still make good progress. Yeah, absolutely. I've talked to people who graduated in, in majors that might not have as, uh, typically high economic value, we'll say, you know, like people mm -hmm. who graduate with English or design majors and, um, they'll say things like, it doesn't seem fair that somebody who graduates with an engineering degree or a computer science degree should get paid more because I worked harder or I, I spent more hours working and yes. you know, there's like a mental shift that has to happen. You have to realize the amount of effort you put into something doesn't necessarily correlate with how valuable it is to whoever you're going to market it to. Yes. And that's something I had to realize. And one of the things I realized uh, a long time ago, but it, it took me a while to build up to it is the things that seem like they're going to be a, like a slog for me and that they're not going to bring like immediate results. Those are the things that tend to be the most valuable in the long run. Cause you were talking about, you know, people tweaking their WordPress design, or I used to read blog posts about how you had to have the perfect about page on your website mm -hmm. if you wanted to be successful. And like, my about page hasn't changed in four years. I'm pretty sure it still says I'm in college. It has like the worst video ever <laughs> on it. Uh, it doesn't matter because every week I wake up and I make a good video and that's what people want from me. You know, every week you wake up and you guys make a great podcast episode, you make new courses. And so what if there's some little like pixel that's off on the blog or something? No one cares. Yeah. Uh, I think like medium.com is like the thing that really drove it home for me about design. Like, oh, it's a white page with text and no design and people love it. Hmm. Maybe all these hours I've been spending in Photoshop templates trying to get the perfect little overlap didn't matter after all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just uh, I don't want people to gloss over this point that you made because it's it's really important. And that is that the effort that you put into something doesn't guarantee the outcome, right? There are mm -hmm. certain things where you can put a little bit of effort in and, and get an outsized outcome. Now that's not to say that there are like these tricks and secrets out there that if you just learn, you know, you can, uh, you can, um, outperform everyone else. I think it's more that there are opportunities out there. There are, um, markets that are ripe. There are people yep. that are being underserved right now and mm -hmm. they can't find what they need from the existing solutions. And your job as a, an entrepreneur is to find those opportunities. We see all the time, you know, especially if you, if you follow startups and, and Silicon Valley and you watch what happens on TechCrunch and these sites that cover it, you see companies that have tens of millions of dollars in funding and obviously very smart people working very, very hard and yet they still don't succeed because the market opportunity just wasn't right for some reason. And that's no fault of their own. There are some things that you can't control in business. There are many things that you can't control. It doesn't mean that it's not worth going into, but there are a lot of risks. And our roadmap, our approach is all about recognizing those potential risks mm -hmm. and mitigating them the best you can and looking at every decision that you make in your business as a hypothesis, including the business itself. If you start a business, your hypothesis is that there is a group of people out there that I can reach somehow who have a problem that I can solve in a way that they're willing to pay me for. Mm -hmm. So you're almost a scientist in that regard, and your job is to test that. So before you jump in and spend two years building a product that you release to the world to find out, hey, do you like what I built? You should do some research and try to lower that risk by talking to people, by studying the other products that are out there. There are a number of ways that you can do that so that you can make informed decisions along the way. And that way you find out whether or not you are pursuing one of those things that seems like you might get outsized returns from your effort, as opposed to being an English major your entire college career and then finishing and going, oh shit, there are no jobs and the jobs that there are pay like crap. Yeah. You know, maybe you do it for a different reason. I'm not faulting people for loving English. That's great. Mm -hmm. But just realize, you know, my wife is an artist uh, and she paints. And just now after, um, you know, spending the past 15 years studying and going to school and, and working, she's starting to see some success. It's worth it to her because she loves art and she loves the process of, of making art. Yeah. It's not worth it necessarily so much from a, a monetary perspective, especially not right out of the gate. 
Yeah, that's true. I think that's a point we should make. Like for anyone thinking of starting a business, there is such a thing as a hobby business. And if you have something you really like to do and you would do it for free all day anyway, but you have, you know, some opportunity to make money with it, that's fine. If, you know, it's not maybe the the best possible economic opportunity for you, as long as you like doing it. Like if you if you love giving guitar lessons and you want to spend three hours a day giving guitar lessons and not make very much money, if you like to do that, then do it. But if you want to build a scalable business and your main goal is to replace your job or do something like that that's when you have to get a little more strategic and like you said, Corbett act like a scientist testing hypothesis and working off of the data you get. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, the, um, again, just thinking about personal finance and business, I guess, um, the, the thing about building a business and being an entrepreneur is it's really exciting. You mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. You feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster in the beginning because one day, you know, you got an email from somebody who matters and you're elated, or maybe you've signed up a customer for the first time. And then the next day, like your website goes down and, and you feel like, who am I for even trying? Uh, this whole thing's going to be a failure. So it's really exciting, but it's not a straight path. There are a lot of unknowns and some people just handle that better. They handle the uncertainty of being an entrepreneur better. Others I think are better suited for following the, the, um, just sort of standard personal finance advice, which is find the best paying job that you possibly can try to earn money on the side and live really frugally. And you'll have something to show for it after 20 years. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the people that I know who earn the most, and who are living the lifestyles that you could be the most envious of often are entrepreneurs because you just have so much freedom and flexibility with running the show yourself. Mm -hmm. Here's, here's the thing. I feel like, uh, making the thing, I mean, it's a ton of fun, you know, obviously it, it's difficult. I could create things all day cause I love it. But, uh, there's this whole like saying, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it matter? Does it make a sound? And so you you put all of your blood and sweat into creating this really awesome thing that is, I don't know, it solves chapped beard hair or something. You know, and people need this. This but is it, a real issue. It's a real issue. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you, Thomas. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, if people can find it, then what difference does it make? Um, it, like, so one, like, how do you get people to find it and how much effort needs to go into that versus like refining your product? Yeah. Well, so the, the first question is always like, how big is that market? How many people possibly have like annoying chap skin from their beard hair or whatever it is? Uh, and, you know, there there are some things that have a fairly small market that are completely unserved and maybe it's worth tackling. There are others where maybe there is some issue of saturation there. Maybe it is a really small market and they're already well served. These mm -hmm. again are things that you need to sort of test as hypotheses. The problem is in a lot of cases, ultimately you're not going to know how the market will react, whether people will buy, unless you actually create something and put it out there. You can do all the preparation in the world to try to validate your business idea, but in a lot of cases, you just need to put something out there and see if people buy after you've done some of the due diligence up front. Yeah. So that's where, you know, we tend to focus on uh, something that Eric Ries popularized in his book, The Lean Startup. It's called the minimum viable product. And the idea here is that you might have this idea uh, where five years from now you could create this incredible product that solves all of these problems for people. The question is, what's the smallest thing that you could focus on right now that just picks off one of those little problems and puts it into a package that is compelling enough for people to pull out their credit card, you know? And that way you get to test whether or not this market is really ripe and interested in what you have and whether or not you're capable of building this thing in a shorter period of time so that maybe a, an MVP, a minimum viable product, only takes you three months to build instead of three years and that way you mitigate the risk because within three months you have something that you actually get to put out there, find out if people buy, and then you can go on and improve the product or maybe you take a step back and you have to change things, which is much better than spending three years heads down working on something only to find out that nobody actually wants to buy the thing because that's the worst thing in the world as an entrepreneur to hear crickets to something that you launch. Yep. Uh, what can you do to get data from people on whether they're interested besides just building it and putting it out there. Like I know you don't, you don't have an email list yet. 
how do you get data from people? Yeah. So we, um, advocate a couple of things. The first is, um, something we call customer conversations. And, mm -hmm. and the idea here is to actually sit down and talk with people either over Skype or coffee. And, uh, you want to find people who seem like they're in your target market. And you also want to ask the questions in a way that aren't leading so that you aren't, um, lying to yourself about, oh yeah, they seemed really interested because you're feeding them with answers. What you want is to just you know, tiptoe around the thing and then let them talk and listen, really listen to the concerns that they have. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, if you don't have an email list or you don't know that many people, sometimes it's hard to find these people. The, uh, other day in the forum, somebody posted about his interesting solution to this problem. He basically joined a forum where people were talking about his topic and, uh, it was on Reddit actually. And, you know, some of these forms, it feels like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to reach out to people directly or be pushy or whatever, because they're going to flame me or whatever. Um, but what he found was that he, uh, you know, participated in the forum a bunch, kind of got to know who the people were, and then eventually reached out and just said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about building a product in this space. Would you mind sparing 20 minutes? And he did this with like 50 people and got a ton of responses and ended up oh, having wow. dozens of conversations with people. So you know, there are people out there, if you're not connected to them, you need to find out where they are already hanging out online mm -hmm. somewhere or in person and how you can get in front of them in a tactful way. And a lot of times it's, it's a numbers game. You know, if you just reach out to one, maybe they'll turn you down in yeah. business. You have to be prepared to be turned down multiple times and just realize that if you reach out to 10 or 20, you will get some yeses mm -hmm. and just go from there, you know, and, and build on. I remember I was watching uh, Ask Gary V one of, like a few weeks ago, and he had a guy calling who said he was a web designer. And Gary was like, "All right, here's what you're gonna do: for six hours a day for the next six months, you're gonna go on Instagram. You're gonna look up just any any kind of tag you can think of that could be associated with a business, and you're gonna look at their design, look at their website. If it sucks, you're gonna email them and ask them if they're looking to redesign or if they would have any interest in that. Six hours a day for the next six months." Right. And, and I and, think like that's the mindset that people, a lot of people shy away from it because they're like, oh man, if I put effort into this and they say no, like I've wasted a bunch of time, but it's like, you can't think, you can't make a judgment call on whether your time is wasted on N equals one. It must be like N equals a hundred. Did I get even one client out of that? And was the worth that I got from that worth the effort I invested in, in pitching those a hundred? That's how you make the judgment. Right. And you know, the, the irony of that is I love that cl that's classic Gary V advice. And mm -hmm. it just shows like how important hustle is. And the irony is if that guy he was talking to did that for one week, he would probably have so many clients that he wouldn't have to do that anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you would be, I mean, if you spent six hours in a day researching people on Instagram, looking at their website, emailing them, you might be able to do one every 20 minutes or something, you know? So at the end of the day, you've got 30 people emailed and you're going to get a yes from those 30. It doesn't take that much work. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I'm interested in the genesis of think traffic and, and more interested, uh, more particularly, I'm wondering if you can remember any of like the catalysts for maybe like jumping off points or success points, maybe like a spike in traffic that came to you. Yeah. Do you like remember any specific events? Cause I definitely do with my business. So yeah, yeah, I do. So we're talking about back in 2010 and basically, uh, you know, I had been blogging about lifestyle stuff for the year before that I had been on a sabbatical in Mexico and I had uh, a lot of questions about the nature of life and career and the balance between the two. And I was talking about that. Uh, but as I was blogging about it, I kept feeling like, oh, this is kind of a hard space to come up with a product for sale. You know, how mm -hmm. am I going to, it's more of like a philosophical thing. And I met a lot of great people doing that, but then I decided what's, you know, to, to pursue something that I could do that was a more tangible need that people had. And I kind of inventoried my skills and I, um, asked myself what people were, having struggles with and, and contacting me about. And this idea of growing an audience kept coming up. I had built a sizable audience with my previous startup and with the blog that I was running. And a lot of people had, uh, goals to build a business online and they just couldn't figure out how do I grow an audience? So I decided to put that together. That's why I think traffic came about. I started the blog about it and, uh, I had a little bit of a boost because I already knew some people getting started. So I think if I look back the first month, I probably had 6,000 visitors to the site or so, and then oh, wow. grew it from there. So I had a, a bit of a foundation to start with, um, just from my existing email list. 
Um, I do remember a few breakthrough blog posts, and this is the kind of thing that we encourage bloggers to look for. There are things that you can write again, talking about effort and results. They're not always paired up because almost every blog post ends up having a similar amount of effort. You know, you spend several hours working on it and then you publish it and, uh, most of them achieve like similar results, but every once in a while you'll strike a nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then you'll find a post going viral somehow and you'll realize, Oh, okay. Sometimes yeah, I, I get these massive results from the same amount of effort. And with me, um, there were posts that went viral and then there were posts that I think had mind share that led to relationships that I had. So, uh, one of those posts I wrote was called write epic shit. And the idea here was people kept asking me, you know, uh, it doesn't seem like you talk much about tactics on this site. You're not really talking about how to grow an audience. What do I Mm -hmm. need to do? And this was really my response to that, which was, when I interview people and I interviewed a lot of people who had really big audiences to try to get to the bottom of this question for the site, um, why are some sites massively popular while the vast majority go basically unnoticed? They generally spent maybe 20% of their time talking about specific tactics and then 80% of their time talking about the meat of whatever it is that you're putting out there. Why does this thing matter? Why should people pay attention? Does this thing actually change lives? Does it influence people? Does it affect people in some significant way? And Mm -hmm. if the answer to all of those questions is no, it doesn't, whatever I'm writing doesn't really hit people in some significant way, then it's unlikely that you're going to grow a sizable audience because you're just not doing anything that matters enough and you're not standing out enough amongst the competition. So that's an example of a post for me, a blog post that I wrote that immediately became a massive hit. It made a lot of people in my, you know, industry or niche or whatever, take notice. Uh, it led to opening a lot of doors for me. And that's the kind of thing that if you're starting a blog or a podcast, you should be really monitoring each piece of content that you put out there to see the reaction that people get. This is another way to test a business idea long before you start working on a product. That is you talk about things on your blog or your podcast and you listen carefully for what people think about it. What sort of responses do you get? Do people email you? Do they leave comments? Do they write reviews about this particular topic that you covered because it struck a chord with them? And if so, then pursue that thread and see where it goes and find out if that might be the kind of, um, you know, rich source of interest that you could build a product around. Mm -hmm. So with right epic shit, what was your promotion process like for that? Did you just publish it and then it immediately caught like wildfire or was there any kind of anything you did or anyone you sent it to that kind of helped it along the way? My promotion process for content hasn't changed too much. Basically, I have a a small checklist that I mostly cover and and mostly it's just wrote at this point. I don't have to Mm -hmm. look at a checklist, but you know, it's the common things. You put it on Facebook, you put it on Twitter, you email it to your list. Every once in a while when a post seems to be maybe getting a little traction or I feel like it might be the kind of thing that could get traction, the only additional thing that I would do would be maybe go post it on a couple of uh, forums that I wouldn't normally post things on, like Reddit sort of things. Mm -hmm. And then also I might email it to a few people that are friends or influencers in a space just to say, hey, I thought you might be particularly interested in this one because... I was thinking about you or whatever context there is there to share it with them. And then sometimes those people will share it with their audience. In the case of, uh, right. Epic shit. I honestly, I can't remember, but my guess is it was just like every other post you write it, you publish it, you check the three boxes for promotion. And then sometimes you wake up the next day and Holy shit, this, you know, post has uh, 10,000, um, page views already. Whereas an average one might have a thousand. And I know you've probably seen this with videos on YouTube, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes it's weird because YouTube's algorithm is just like, oh, I like that one. Yeah, here you go. Here's 3,000, 300,000 views just in a couple of days. Uh, and I, I don't think anyone has quite cracked how that works, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely nice when that happens. From an outside perspective, you know, from some, somebody looking at the post being like, man, that's completely viral and I would never be able to do it myself. Um, it seems like a stroke of luck. But from your perspective, I think, and not with all of them, because sometimes the weird gods of the internet just take something and make it viral. But for some pieces of content, you can look and see all of the threads going into the past, uh, connecting to other things you've done that led up to that 
success. And and I would say the most important thread is probably the hundred other posts that you wrote before that one that didn't mm-hmm. go viral. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. really you showing up and doing the work to understand your audience and really just to try a bunch of things. Because again, you know, it's all, it's all hypothesis driven and you think, Hmm, my audience maybe would be interested in this. Let's see if they are or not. And you try that a hundred times and then eventually you find something that they really are. And to circle back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this, a lot of people just don't have the stamina to go through that. And a lot of people have the best intentions of starting a podcast or a blog or a business. And they put out the first, you know, 10 articles. They don't get a massive response. And then it dies on the vine like every other blog out there. And mm-hmm. so the name of the game, and, and this is what we teach in our Start a Blog That Matters course inside of Fizzle, is we want you to focus on getting to, to post number 100. That's yeah. really the goal of taking that course. It's There's nothing else that matters more than you putting in the work and focusing and, and staying concentrated and, and persistent enough to get those first 100 blog posts out there. Because I don't know that many blogs that have written 100 posts that haven't had some level of breakthrough that hasn't led to something really significant for them. I know a ton of blogs who have written five or 10 posts and given up or maybe yeah. have gotten to 30 posts after three years because they blog intermittently and they don't really have a whole lot to show for it. When did you write uh, the Write Epic Shit post? Um, I would guess that was in early 2011. Okay. Did you, and that'll be at the Fizzle archives. Yeah, okay, exactly. Cool. I'm looking through the, uh, the thing traffic archive right now. Cause I'm wondering how many posts you wrote before you wrote that one. And it looks like it's at least, oh, probably 50 or 60. I wrote going three, back to February. A, three a week on that site for the first year. So it was probably 150 actually. And there's a lot of stuff that you're oh, not wow. seeing in the archives there that we moved over to uh, fizzle when we decided to go full in on the business that I'm running now. Okay, cool. And I'm looking at mine. Like I think I wrote 45 or 50 before I wrote that desk post. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a slog, you know, it really can be. And you can always look to certain like special people who just kind of come out of nowhere and have something take off immediately. Um, and I think that's, that's just like a combination of luck and timing and just uncommon ability in some cases. But I don't really look to those people as a model for what you should be doing. You know, when I'm telling an audience of people what they should do if they want to start their own businesses. Cause I think putting in a lot of effort that goes largely unnoticed is, really the formula for eventually getting to that one thing that does catch fire. Yeah. All I know is there is no formula for overnight success. It happens. (laughs) There's no question that it happens, Mm -hmm. but it's a mystery as to uh, how a confluence of factors come together to make that happen for someone. And I don't believe it's something that you should aspire to. Uh, If it happens, great. And every time you start a new business or a new or put an idea out in the world, you're buying a lottery ticket that might result in overnight success, but it's Mm -hmm. unlikely. So we have people just focus on the things that we know. uh, And I do believe that building a business, maybe not the business idea that you start with, but building a business over time, whether you have to you know, pivot and change ideas three or four times along the way, I do believe uh, if you're dedicated enough, you can make it happen, but you have to be willing to overcome a lot of roadblocks along the way. Mm-hmm. And you guys kind of pivoted too, you know, because Think Traffic wasn't a course platform at first. You, were, I mean, you were selling a course, but it was not, it wasn't a membership site. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of decided that selling one-time products isn't the best answer. Let's try a membership site totally shifted. And I thought it was very interesting that you guys actually ditched the think traffic domain and went with an entirely different business name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was the know, reasoning for you guys doing that? There's a lot of decisions that go into something like that for us. Um, think traffic was focused on one particular smaller niche, which is building an audience. And mm-hmm. our interests had started to shift by that point to helping people get entire businesses off the ground. And so it just made sense to move forward. Also, uh, I built fizzle with other people and sometimes, uh, you know, if you bring people in on something that feels new and fresh, they invest more ownership sense into it. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, it was, you know, it was something that we birthed together as opposed to the legacy that I brought to the project. Okay. Did you have to get in over any for, like sort of feelings of independence to do that? Of course. I did notice that you went from like think traffic by Corbett Barr where you were kind of the face of the business to yeah. 
fizzle where you're very clearly one third and nobody really stands above anyone else in that business. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I realized, um, that I'm not a super ego driven person. I, I don't need to be the face of something. It was fun for a while, but it was also, um, you know, I, I maybe it's an introvert extrovert thing. And I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle, but sometimes having your face on, you know, or your name on the product, um, puts undue pressure on you, I think. And mm -hmm. I just feel like I operate better in the, in the current scenario, it was a challenge, you know, to go from being a one person business to running a business with a team. There are a lot of benefits to it, but at the same time, you also can't just decide I'm going to take next month off or whatever, you know, um, yeah. because you have people there and you have to think, well, if I do that, are they going to do that? And you know, there's, there's a give and take there. And, and so it's a lot like a marriage when you're running a business with someone else. Mm -hmm. I want to, uh, I want to take a step back cause we, we kind of like went really far and uh, there's one part of Fizzle that uh, surprised me in its value. And that was like meeting Matt, meeting Thomas and kind of like doing things like this, like picking your brain and how I like read the Internet. I thought I knew everything. You know, I signed for Fizzle and I did the courses and they're awesome. But I got so much more value out of the piece that I saw as just being there, the community um, I, mm -hmm. I didn't sign up for the community, but that was what really did it for me. Um, why, why did you create this? And like, what do you guys do over there that's special? Because most people don't know it like Thomas and I do. Mm. Um, that's a great question. I, I think if we look at the people who have the greatest success within Fizzle, it's usually because of one of two things. Either one, uh, we drastically changed the way people view business and clarified things in a way that let them focus on the things that they needed to focus on. The second thing would be that they met someone uh, who changed their trajectory in some way within Fizzle, or uh, they met a series of people. You know, we were talking earlier about persistence, and one of the things that you can um, sort of artificially boost your persistence with is surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs. Right. Because when you get, you know, three or four years into a project and it's not going the way you want or even six months into a project is a long time in the beginning and it's not going the way you want. If you're operating on your own in a vacuum, a lot of times you can just throw in the towel and nobody has to know except maybe your your spouse and your friends that you told you were working on this thing with. If you put yourself in a situation where you are expected to show up every week, like a mastermind group where you're meeting with other entrepreneurs and talking about what you're working on, when you're down in the dumps and you feel like this thing is all, you know, futile, they might have other things to say. They might say, are you crazy? Like you have made all this progress already. You're so close to succeeding and you just had a setback and you're feeling down about it and that's normal. Mm -hmm. And you know, that happened for me. I was in a mastermind group a long time ago and, uh, with a couple of people who, um, saved me from quitting, literally saved me from quitting. And then also encouraged me to put a product out when I had been dragging my heels on it that ended up doing quite well and, and changed things for me quite a bit. So, you know, one of the things that we know is most important about building businesses is that the more you are connected to other entrepreneurs, the more likely you are to succeed. And we see that all the time with people inside of Fizzle. So one of the reasons that we created Fizzle was to create this place where people could come together and uh, help each other out. And not just any people, but people who are drawn to our message, which is our tagline has long been honest online business training because there's mm -hmm. a lot of dishonesty out there. And, uh, people who listen to our podcast get this sense that what matters is the substance behind what you're doing, not the tactics. And, uh, those people are drawn to fizzle. So our community is full of those kind of folks. And every once in a while, a spark happens. And luckily people like you meet up and, uh, work on a project together and it works out really well. And I'm happy that you got more value than, you know, maybe it costs you to join fizzle or to be a member of fizzle. Uh, you know, I think that points to a business opportunity for us if we can systematize that somehow and make sure that everyone's getting that kind of value. But um, at this point, I'm, I'm happy. This is exactly why we started it. I mean, yes, we want to earn a great living. But more than that, we want to plant little seeds in the world so that other people get to do the same thing. And uh, God, I mean, who knows where you'll be? You're just like four years into this. Imagine 20 years from now, like where you'll be and where all of this will have gone. It's just so fun to watch. Yeah.
I will be honest, the community was the main reason I joined because I'm except for certain topics. I'm not much of a course learner. Mm -hmm. I'm more the kind of person who just like just jumps in head first. And then when I get stuck or when I break something, I go to Google and go, how do I fix it? Um, I did. I did sign up partly for Chase's web design course because I wanted to see like why he was making some of the decisions he made with the nerd fitness Mm -hmm. redesign. But for the most part, I wanted the forums because I wanted to meet people and I wanted to be able to get in on those accountability threads where I just update with progress every week like a lot of people were doing. And those were really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, when, at least for me in in my normal life, I don't know anyone who has created a thing or is attempting to create a thing. And when everyone has day jobs, you tend to feel like a crazy person or they are alluding to the fact that you must be crazy for putting all this time into this thing that, like, I don't know, like, why would you make a personal finance thing? Dave Ramsey did it right. It's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's, there's such value to just meeting with like-minded people who, who understand, like, why you even want to do something. Yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of people will never do anything tremendous with their lives. It's just the, it's just the truth. You know, the vast majority of people are just going to do what seems like everybody else does. And, uh, because they're afraid of taking the risk. And I think there are a lot of rewards to be had for those who decide to go out and try something on their own. I love, uh, in Steve jobs commencement speech or not his commencement speech. This was actually just an interview where he talks about learning to poke the box and to find out that, um, the world was the rules in the world were created by someone who's probably no smarter than you. They just, you know, had the, the situation to create those rules. And once you learn that you can push and pull on things and, and, uh, sort of undo the fabric and realize that there's almost like a matrix happening. I'm paraphrasing Steve jobs here, <laughs> but realize that it's, you're, it's almost like you're living in the matrix and that there's this whole thing going on where most people just go about their day and then others decide, Hmm, why is this? this way. And why can't I do that? And Mm -hmm. what would happen if I tried? And, you know, at the end of the day, I would rather have gone through trying to build something and failing and living those adventures and having those stories to tell than, uh, just being safe the whole time and looking back and regretting that I never tried to do something. Yeah. I have one, uh, question for you and I think you'd be the best one to answer this. So, I think most people have a day job and they're hopefully not going to quit and, you know, maybe they're going to try and start a thing and they have that like one to two, maybe three hours a night, like you were suggesting, um, where they try and, and build something. Do you think someone putting in, say, on average, one to two hours a night uh, consistently over the course of a year could build a business that earns them $1,000 a month passively? Yes. Do you, do you think that is reasonable? Do you think that's like the top 3% of like psychopath entrepreneurs <laughs> that can only achieve that? Like how achievable is that? Corbin's yeah, answer so, is so much more definite than mine <laughs> when you asked me this. I think you asked me it privately. <laughs> I, I would say it's not the likely outcome, but it is possible. Um, we see people inside of Fizzle who are part-time entrepreneurs and usually what happens is uh, they end up finding a way to scale back their hours at their day job eventually when they start earning something, uh, or some way to dedicate a little bit more time when the thing starts taking off. A lot of times it might just take being able to prove to your spouse that the time that you're spending on it is worthwhile so that then your, your spouse will watch the kids more or something. So you can dedicate a little more time. But, um, you know, a great example of this, uh, is a guy named Steve Chu. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him and his podcast. Is it's he called the, my wife got her job. Yeah. Guy? yeah. Steve's Steve's a great guy. And what I love about Steve, he has a, his podcast is called my wife quit her job. And it's all about how literally his wife started a business selling, uh, handkerchiefs for special events, uh, on eBay or something. And, uh, it really took off and she ended up quitting her job. But Steve, on the other hand, he has this podcast and he has a full business around helping people, uh, build businesses based on, um, sourcing things from cheaper places and then selling them on eBay sort of thing, like physical products, mm. businesses. And, uh, Steve has this entire business built around it. He has this tremendous podcast and community and so on. And yet at the same time, Steve works a full-time job as an engineer in Silicon really? Valley 
still to this day, even though he could have quit long ago because mm-hmm. he actually likes his day job. He loves what he does, but mm-hmm. he has maybe 10, 12 hours a week that he gets to dedicate to this other business. And it's a massive success because he served a need. He had an honest story. And probably like we said before, the hours that he does spend on the business, he just puts his head down and focuses on the things that actually matter, even though he only has 10 or 12 hours a week to spend on it. Yeah. Yeah. He might be using that 10 or 12 hours the same way somebody could use 30 or 40. Exactly. If he, uh, if they're less focused. Yep. So I don't know how you're planning on ending this episode, Andrew. Um, but <laughs> well, I was hoping we were all going to be crying and holding hands. But. <laughs> we're all just crying and singing Kumbaya. Uh, no, what I'm going to say is like, whoever's listening to this and I think corporate would say the exact same thing. We, if you have an idea, go start validating it and go start building it. Like that's the number one thing. And I think Corbett, maybe you're, you guys over at Fizzler are a little more strategic with how you guys start things and you have the roadmap and everything like that. I always just started on a whim, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I am all for validating as you go along and, and killing something if it doesn't work out. But College Info Geek was started at night, one night, just put it up and wrote my first blog post because I got rejected from another blog. And the podcast was started in one day. I ordered a mic on Amazon, had the podcast up within 24 hours of the mic arriving. Like all these things, you just you just start them and they don't do well for a while, but then eventually maybe they do. I think that's the big thing for people to take away from this is like you have to just start building and then start answering those questions that come up as you're building, not before. Yeah. And I'll add to that. I, I, I agree as well. And I had started a number of things in the past and in a lot of cases saw a lot of success and maybe not, um, enduring success, but I also saw a lot of failures and I think the failures are part of the journey as well. And you shouldn't be afraid of those. I think a failure isn't a failure. A failure is just an answer to that question that you had, right? You were mm-hmm. wondering hey, if I start this blog, would people care about it? Well, if it fails, the answer was no, people didn't care about it. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that the time wasn't right. You didn't put the right effort in. Who knows? There are a lot of different reasons, but you will learn so much from starting something that you will be much better prepared the second time around. And it's so fun the second time around because you make so much progress so much quicker and you get further. It's like playing your favorite video game back in the day, right? You know, you'd, you'd play, play and play, and then you die and then you, Oh, and, but then the second time around, hopefully you got a little bit further and that's the goal with each, uh, attempted entrepreneurship. I'll just add one thing to that. And that is that I don't believe everyone who wants to be an entrepreneur needs to go out and start their own thing the first time around. Mm -hmm. If you're in a job right now, sometimes the best thing that you can do is Maybe find a new job in the space that you want to one day start a business in or maybe join a startup or maybe partner up with someone who's already got a little bit of progress under their belt. There Mm -hmm. are ways that you can learn that are a little bit more risk averse than just jumping both feet in. I don't advocate for people just to quit their jobs and go start a business. I think you should stay in your day job because there are a lot of mental things that happen when you have the weight of needing to earn an income on your shoulders Mm -hmm. and you need to make sure that that's taken care of and that your mental state is as stable as possible if you're going to start a business. And a lot of times the best way to go is just to learn from other people who are doing it and don't take all of the risk on your shoulders right away. Yeah, that's actually what my friend Martin is doing now. He quit his job and now he basically like essentially partnered with me and he had his own blog for a while and that didn't exactly pan out, but now he works with me pretty much full time. Um, it's awesome. It's basically entrepreneurship cause we're operating as a very small company. And then he's got some side projects that he doesn't really intend to become a full-time business, but he has time to work on them mm-hmm. and a lot of insight from being in a space that's kind of similar. Absolutely. So, uh, if people want to hear more of your voice, because they definitely can, where should they go? Yeah, you can hear uh, 200 episodes and counting of The Fizzle Show. Uh, you can mm-hmm. find it on iTunes. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to check out the community that we've been talking about and our uh, video training library, you can head over to fizzle.co. And I'm guessing that uh, you guys might have a link or something for people if they want to check it out. Do we well. have a link, Andrew? Yeah, so if you go I'm not to actually sure. listenmoneymatters.com slash fizzle, it'll bring you to the same place. Um, but... It pays for our hosting. Yes, do that. <laughs> we get like a $10,000 commission. That's yes, right. Please, <laughs> if you're interested, 
in Fizzle, please uh, follow that link so that Andrew and Thomas get credited for all their hard work. And we appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Well, we have massive appreciation for you guys as well. And, uh, you know, the commission aside, the link aside, like seriously, Fizzle is the best place mm. that I can think of to go learn the things that you need to know to do better in this space. Like, I honestly can't think of a better one. You guys have done a fantastic job. Changed and my life. You've made it. You've made it accessible to everyone. Like awesome. to a ridiculous amount. I think it is so cool that I can uh, email a student who's like in Mexico and is a freshman in college and has like no money. I can be like, hey, yeah, you can go do these courses um, and do the trial. And then eventually if you have enough money, you can subscribe. Like that's it's so, so cool to me. So thank you. Thank you guys. For building it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to find our toolbox full of all of our resources, probably including Fizzle, I think, uh, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you can go. And that is all we got for you guys this week. So until next week, we'll see you. Later, guys. Later, man. Adios. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>